Hello, podcast listeners. You're listening to the Gym and Tonic podcast with myself, Stephen Geddes. We cover all topics, health, fitness, and wellness related. We talk to special guests and industry leaders and get them to share their stories and experiences along with sharing our own journey and thoughts of this industry. Most importantly, we love what we do and we invite you to share your thoughts on our social media platforms. Welcome to the podcast and I hope you enjoy today's episode. So Dr. Stuart McGill is a former professor emeritus from the University of Waterloo. He studied there or he, he lectured there for 30 years. He's authored numerous textbooks, journals and has become the go-to guy um, for industry leaders. Okay, He um, is now currently the chief scientific officer for Backfit Pro Inc. And I'm going to get him on board here now. Stuart, how are you? I'm not so good, Stephen. <laughs> we uh, have you, the, you, this is all very mysterious uh, to me. <laughs> I know. I, uh, I've never done this before. I've had to go and find my daughter because when I went through the computer, it asked me for passwords and okay, things yeah, that, that I've never done before. So, so first of all, you can hear me. I can hear you absolutely fine. How's things there? Can you hear me? Yeah? I, I can. I'm going to try. So you're just on my phone. Yeah, perfect. All right. Oh, okay. I, I tried to do it through a computer. Ah, yeah, yeah. It, there is issues with Instagram when you're trying to access Instagram from a laptop or from a PC or that. Um, okay, so you're talking to a guy who doesn't know social media. <laughs> No harm, no harm. I've, I, I've sort of upskilled myself in the last few weeks due to these uh, restrictions and things. So, look, it's all good. We got you here, and I'm absolutely delighted to have you on board today, as I know. And, and, and there's so many that are watching that are too, because we've received quite a few questions in since I sent those other ones on to you. But I think um, for anyone, as I said in the intro, for anyone that doesn't know who Dr. Stuart McGill is, he's a former professor of... The University of Waterloo was there for 30 years. He's now the Chief Scientific Officer at Backfit Pro. You've authored many textbooks, journals, and I've explained to anyone that doesn't know on here currently who you are, that you have become one of the industry leaders and the go-tos for many rehabilitation specialists, for experts, for athletes, for teams alike. So an absolute honor to have you on board, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to having a chat with you. Thanks, Stephen. Good morning, or uh, I suppose it's late afternoon for you in Ireland. It is. We're, we're three p.m. And, and whereabouts are you now? Um, I'm in the west of Ireland in a, in a place called Mayo, just north of Gaul. I, I know Mayo. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, back... my, my dad's family's from Dunleary, and my mother's family was from, uh, well, between Cork and Waterford. Oh, excellent. So you spent a little bit of time here in Ireland? Oh, yeah. Great. Great stuff. <laughs> Um, I, I would usually say it's, 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 very, it's been very nice the last couple of weeks, actually. We've been very lucky um, in comparison to what our normal weather is like. But if you look out the window here now, we're having a little bit of a stormy period. So I did send you, I think, a heads up on the email uh, in regards to the, um, the internet and, and that. And, and hopefully it holds up. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it, we, we've had a couple of great weeks. And obviously the day that we decide to do this is when it, uh, when it drops outside a little bit. But I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll stay positive and we'll get through this. <laughs> Terrific. 
<laughs> um, so I sent you on a number of questions. I suppose the first thing is first. I've explained to people about how important it is to tune into this if you have experienced or know of anyone that has experienced back pain because you're the guy. So um, I suppose what are the general causes of back pain? Let's start there and how, how can we fix it? What, what is it normally that you come across? There is no normal. Yeah. Uh, so if I can start as I do answering any question, yeah. uh, I try and begin by establishing a scientific principle. And then I try and understand the context of the question. And then I can give some sort of reasonable uh, answer. So uh, what's the cause of back pain? Uh, just a moment. Uh, my computer is still echoing you. Here. <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear it. Okay. So now I, I, I got rid of the echo. Um, there's no such thing as back pain in a non-specific sense. It all is very specific. Pain just doesn't happen. There's a reason for it. So when you say what's the cause of back pain, I need to subcategorize that. Are we talking about your mother who might be 75 years of age, sitting down takes her back discomfort and pain away and yet going for a walk of one kilometer uh, is, is not possible because of back pain. Then I'll take a young fellow like you who sitting at the computer for 20 minutes causes back pain and it might cause your little toes to go numb on your right hand side. And yet going for a walk is relieving. Or I might, uh, they, they might say, oh, rolling over in bed gives me tremendous uh, sharp pain. So do you see, we, we need to have a conversation about assessing the person thoroughly enough to converge on their specific mechanism. Once we can do that, we can have a very focused discussion. So a lot of what we do is, uh, requires a lot of pattern recognition. So when a person tells their story, we listen. And from that, we're putting together patterns and uh, we're forming hypotheses as to what the real pain pathways could be. And there might be more than one as well in many people. Uh, and then that forms the foundation for a physical assessment. And now we really lock in as to what their, their pain pattern is. So there's some science. I, a most common pattern for that trainers will have to deal with in a clientele, say 30, 40, early 50s. Um, it will be primarily uh, disc related. So if you look in the middle of this uh, model, there's a gel, a nuclear gel uh, in the middle of the disc. But the outside of the disc is made up of collagen strands. So it's not a ball and socket joint at all. It's actually an adaptable fabric, if you want to think of it that way. And if I took my shirt and I wanted to delaminate the fibers of my shirt, I create stress strain reversals back and forth. And some people treat their spines as if they're made of ball and socket joints. And the collagen slowly 
there's a, a material called a ground substance that holds all these fibers together. It's the ground substance becomes a bit more loose, a bit more viscous, so that when they do get under heavy load and then they bend, it creates hydraulic pressure in the nucleus and the fibers, if they are loose, do you see the little bulge opening up at yeah. the end of my finger there? Now, what I'm going to do is stack the spine tall and I'm just going to squeeze with a thrust line straight up and down. You'll notice the whole disc moves, but you'll also notice that there's no hydraulic effort uh, posteriorly. So there might be a very common pain pattern of someone who uh, deadlifts, maybe does Olympic lifts, and then they sit for 10 hours a day at the computer uh, because that's their job. Uh, and they wonder why, oh, I'm fit, I'm strong, but I've got back pain. And yet when they go for a walk, all their pain goes away. And you can see right there that it is very activity related. Mm -hmm. As a person gets a little bit older, um, here is more of, a, of an older adaptation, uh, a spine that's a little bit more arthritic now. I'm going to take a brass rod and just lead it through the central spinal canal, which is the pathway for the uh, spinal cord. Um, you'll see it, it, it moves quite freely. However, if I make a very, very small postural change, I'm just going to extend ever so slightly, ever so slightly, and now you see that the brass rod is locked. Now, if, though, if, if this is real life, that older person might say, you know, when I stand up and try and stand tall, which I used to be able to do as a young man, I now get pain down my legs. I can't walk up the stairs quite as well. So you, you, you see that that's an entirely different uh, answer to your question. So in a nutshell, uh, the answer is it depends. However, the way to approach this is to obtain a thorough understanding of the pathway, then you will know first and foremost what to do to avoid uh, more irritation and pain and let whatever the mechanism is settle. Uh, then is there a movement base to this? In other words, if you change their sitting posture, their standing posture, the way they bent down to feed their cat, or if they are training in the gym, it might require a totally different program. But nonetheless, build a foundation. And both of these pain mechanisms that I just described are addressable. Yeah. Not in everybody, but in most. So there's a little bit of a start to the question. Yeah. So what you're saying is, firstly, we establish the context. Uh, listen to the story. Find out exactly sort of the, the events surrounding the issue. And then make a diagnosis from there. Is that correct? Uh I would choose different words, but it, yeah. in, in effect, yes. In a nutshell. Okay, so um, you, you speak, I've, I've watched quite a lot of your videos and listened to a lot of your, 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 um, your cast, podcasts and things like that. And you talk a lot about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, go to and fro here and talk from a sort of a coach's perspective and also from a, from a general public. But um, one of the things that I know that a lot of people are often interested in is like the, the, the core stability. And you talk about back and core stability and the differences between those 
two things. So could you explain and talk a little bit about that and where both are applicable? Sure. Well, the answer to that one starts with a big, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we certainly need a context. And I, and I should also say I, say, I absolutely hate the words core stability. However, people sort of know what we're talking about if we say that. So uh, we'll start there. Let me uh, give three examples to create a framework for all of this. So Say I wanted to push you. You might be a comp uh, an opponent in combatives. You might be just a heavy door that I need to push my way through. Let's say I could bench press 200 kilo. I can't, but say I could. Now, say we've got a big rugby prop who can bench 200 kilo. The bench press muscles are pec major and anterior deltoid. They flex the arm. So it's a uniarticular muscle. It just spans the ball and socket joint of my shoulder. Distal to the ball and socket joint, pec major flexes my arm. Agreed? Mm. Proximal to the shoulder joint, pec major bends my rib cage towards my shoulder. So if I push you with just pec major, it is a functional collapse. It is an energy leak. I am totally ineffective. And by the way, I just push my own spine. I stress my own spine. Why would I do that? However, if I create a proximal stiffness to that joint, I unleash 100% of that muscle force and power distally, bang. So stiffen the core or the torso and 100% of that muscle action is directed distally. So if we're sprinting and I want to propel the leg and femur in extension and then have a very fast recovery. If I am leaking energy through a wonky core, to use that uh, terminology, not only am I slowing down, I can't stop as quickly, I can't change direction as quickly, etc. So there's principle number one. If I want to wiggle my finger very quickly, I had to stiffen my wrist. If I want to move my wrist, I had to stiffen my elbow. So because we live in a linkage, or look at a backhoe or heavy equipment that digs the earth. The first thing the operator does is put down the stabilizers to lift the tractor part off the ground, lock it into the ground. Now you can pull earth with the shoulder, elbow, uh, etc. So principle number one, it's non-negotiable. Uh, think of a child if we go to a rehab situation, who has a paralyzed quadratus lumborum on one side. So if this is a paralyzed quadratus lumborum, they can stand on their right leg and swing the left. But as soon as they stand on the left, they collapse. Hmm. Yet another very poignant example that without proximal stability and a core, you can't even walk. Um, principle number two, um, because the spine is a flexible rod, think of it as a stack of oranges, if you will. So if we had ball and socket joints, you'd need a massive amount of musculature to allow that stack of oranges to bear load. Well, that's why we don't have ball and socket joints. We have um, 
discs that have a neutral zone and as you bend them they create a stiffness and a definition to end range of motion so that allows us to have a much slimmer torso and there are all kinds of evolutionary advantages for movement and speed etc to have a narrower torso and not one that's as wide as you are tall for example um, in any case, if we squeeze this flexible rod, it can only support about, oh, 20 kilos, something like that, and then it collapses. So we need a guy wire system to allow that spine to support load. So when we did experiments, we would put EMG electrodes, we'd implant them into the deep muscles of the spine, and we would measure what does the motor control system go and activate to create a robust guy wire system if we just put load on a person, say they're doing a farmer's walk or something like that. And then you realize that the brain goes and gets muscles in a way that, that ensures sufficient stiffness to allow that flexible rod to bear load. The next non-negotiable principle uh, I'm moving a little bit more into the pain and injury area now and why core stability, to use that word, or spine stiffness is absolutely necessary. Consider a knee when you have ACL damage. The doc will do a drawer test. In other words, you're measuring shear instability. You apply a little bit of force and you get a lot of shear movement. Exactly the same thing happens in any joint in the body. When there's a bit of damage, it loses its integrity. It loses its stiffness. So consider this uh, specimen here where L5 is normal, L3 is normal, but L4 has had a little bit of end plate damage. It's lost a little bit of the hydraulic uh, pressure and tension or turgidness, stiffness. So now the person is just going to twist left and right. They might play golf. They're picking up their child, etc. Do you see how the movement is taking place here yeah. at the joint that's lost its stiffness? However, if that was in real life, I would then say to the person, push my fingers out. Bang. I didn't say suck in. This has been, you know, the transverse abdominus era that we went through, drawing your abdominals and all this kind of stuff. That reduces this kind of girdling that you need to arrest the micro movements and take the pain away. So when a, a client or a patient says, you know, in the morning, the pain was in my right glute and it went down my right hamstring. But in the afternoon, it moved to the left side of my back or it moved up my back. In other words, the symptoms are migrating. They're migrating as a function of where the micro movement has now redistributed the load onto another tissue and the pain is different. So to arrest those, I might say to the person, push, your, push my fingers out and they'll say, oh, magic, I can now bend lift and my pain is gone or they might say the opposite they say you know my pain is worse because when you create the girdle or a, or a brace there's a compressive cost to that and the spine may have lost compression load-bearing tolerance uh, therefore we might have to come up with a different strategy i might say to them post a good trainer knows what a post is. You pull down with pecs and lats. You know, your arm wrestling, posting, or arm drag position. Post down. 
There it is. Oh, that took my pain away. So you're searching all the time for different st stiffening strategies to make up for the loss of stiffness in the damaged joint that's causing the pain. So, you know, very quickly, uh, if you get it right and it's a micro movement, you can arrest that micro movement and the pain is gone like that. Yeah. Or the person doesn't have the right movements, they don't have the right recruitment skills, then it's up to the trainer to create drills and engrams or movement patterns that are robustly engraining that new default pattern that uh, arrests the micro movements, takes away the pain, and mm -hmm. off they go. So there's, you know, and if, if you're a combative athlete, you need core stiffness for um, armor, basically. If, yeah. if you're going to take a, uh, a boot to the torso, <laughs> you can protect your vital organs. And, and, and this is why combative athletes work so hard to build the torso armor. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't give the opponent uh, th that easy target. Anyway, I could go on and on, but there's at least four um, very valid and, uh, well, well, I'll just leave it at that, uh, interventions. But it depends on the goal, the context, whether there's pain, whether we're talking performance, etc. But you see, it's a great question, and we could go on for days on that one. So one of the things you talked about there, uh, you touched on, obviously stiffness of the spine and, be able to, and, and being able to create that um, under load, um, but also the importance of being able to move and that movement and I suppose mobility as such. How do we get the balance between these two things, between creating that stiffness and that mobility? Because surely... Yeah, yeah great question. Yeah. yeah th this is where so many people... Now we're talking about tuning. So uh, as you know, to get a performance vehicle, you're, it's all about tuning suspension. It's about tuning the transmission and the gearing to the engine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what we're doing in a person's body. So insufficient stiffness, they're just collapsing into their pain. Too much stiffness, now they've gone the other way. They've arrested all uh, mobility, uh, et cetera. Or there, there is a confusion in their um, scheme between where I should be stiff and where I should be loose. So if we were teaching the person just a 10% contraction in the abdominal wall takes your pain away. And then I'll say, do a push-up. And they are, in other words, they've stiffened all the extremities as well. So they have such poor motor control wisdom that they can't tune it in their body. So then we'll have to do all kinds of, you know, relaxation, shaking exercises in the extremities. And I might get them to stand on one leg while they're doing it. So already we're grooving in a, a controlled torso and spine with some athletic reaches, uh, uh, et cetera. But again, I don't know if that's the right tool or not until we have the person in front of us. But the, the, the scientific principle you're going for is tuning strategically their body so they're uh, able to meet their functional goals with no pain.
I suppose that's the big thing then there is what you're saying, the functional goals. So again, to put it in context, it's going to differ for the average Joe or Jane, you know, that, that just, you know, wants to move a little bit better or a power lifter or a strength athlete. So you need to decide to push a little bit more one way or the other. Would that be right? You're right on. If we have a power lifter, uh, you know, a power lifter is extremely stiff. They put on gear to be stiffer. They put on belts, knee wraps, uh, lifting suits. It's all an effort to create more stiffness and more load bearing, but they sacrifice speed and mobility. Uh, but then let's go to the other extreme and you're, you're trying to tune a golfer. Now you're tr tuning an elastic athlete. Mm. And if you put too much strength into a golfer, you'll, you'll create damage, which is what we saw on the PGA Tour about 12 years ago. The golfers suddenly got into this, into their heads. Oh, Olympic lifting was somehow better for golf. A, it didn't translate to golf. Some of the best golfers in the world actually lost yardage and they became horribly injured. And we saw it time and time again. And now finally the golfers are getting it and they're backing off the strength creating that elastic uh, storage and recovery tuning in their in their body and uh, but they're not going to play rugby prop and in fact do you know of a single rugby prop who can hit a long go golf ball they don't exist they're two entirely different tunings of the body so that's another fabulous discussion to have um, but for your audience the important thing is to write down the goal and there's a great disconnect sometimes between the training program and what really transfers to real life for that person. So, you know, if they say, well, we need more hip mobility, we're going to give them stretching or foam rolling or whatever the tool is. How do you know that translates to more mobility in their real life? Because what we measure is it's a hardware and a software thing. You can change their hardware with a really good stretching program. Do you think they're going to move any differently in life? No, that's a motor pattern. So along with the hardware change, now do a little bit of software change. Anyway, I'm probably giving you too big an answer than what you're... No, I understand. Yeah, because actually, it's funny because I spoke to Michael Boyle, um, um, Michael Boyle Strength and Conditioning, CFSC in Boston um, a couple of days ago. And we spoke, that was the sort of topic of conversation was functional training. And we were, I, I suppose I brought to, to, to the forefront about, about people now that have lost it a little bit or, or they did for a while where they thought functional training was sort of standing on a stability ball and doing all this daft sort of work. Whereas it's just as you're after saying, it's, it differs in each person it's a you know depending on what their daily life is you want the training that you're doing you know to to sort of correlate with what what they're trying to achieve like you mentioned the the, the rugby prop there or the golfer and and i suppose the difference there in the type of training that they'd be doing exactly i'm, I'm yeah. so glad you had mike on he's a he's a That's terrific great. trainer yeah yeah and uh I've uh, seen his results. Uh, I've, I've, uh, you know, some people get confused about what we do here. Uh, people only come to me with back pain. Uh, yeah. and, and once we build a sufficient resilience in them, we send them back. I've sent lots of people back to Mike Boyle and JC mm -hmm. Santana. And, and, you know, I have my people around the world that, uh, 
you know, I, I, I know what my job is. And once it's done, we pass them on. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's a real confusion for a lot of people as well. You know, they'll say, oh, McGill, you, you stabilize people. It's a, a terrible thing. They, they, they can't go and uh, do, you know, some, some, some great feat. And I say, well, that wasn't my job. <laughs> my job was to just get them moving well with no pain. <laughs> you know what? It's, 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 I'm delighted actually you mentioned that because typically in Ireland, I don't know if you have this problem as much in, um, in, in the States, but definitely in Ireland, I would get a lot of clients come back to me. I'm a strength and conditioning coach and a, and a personal trainer on a gym here. Um, I would get a lot of my clients up to me and they may say, yeah, listen, I went, um, I've been having a little niggle, you know, knee pain, hip pain, back pain, whatever. Um, so they went to straight to the doctor and the doctor just gave them an injection and sent them off rather than going through the, um, like rather than going through the stages of what we've just been talking about there and then maybe getting them to a certain point and then, you know, um, send them to somebody else that would maybe able to take them to the next stage, you know? So we'll often, it often creates this thing where, and I'm not speaking out badly about the doctors or things like that, but they often, maybe administer things or do things that maybe just it might not be their area you know? um and unfortunately the person that they're dealing with or my client or the general public takes you know they, they they look at them on such a high pedestal so they take their every word and then maybe they don't get the issue you know they don't find the root cause of the issue um, because they've just been given a cortisone injection. So maybe now their lower back now feels a little bit better, but maybe the issue is actually spanning off somewhere else, you know? Well, I, I, do you want to comment on that? Well, no, no I'm saying that's, that's sort of how it is here. I don't know if that happens there, over there, but that's what I'm saying, the way you... Well, first of all, over there is not the States. Yeah. I'm a Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, not a, I'm absolutely not an American, so... Oh, uh, yeah. Native. <laughs> yeah, you, you Germans never quite. <laughs> anyway, I put um, my foot in it there. You did. Anyway, uh, getting back to the, uh, you, you say you don't want to find fault with the medics. I, I, I'm not so easily giving, letting them off the hook. Yeah. Um, but it's the medical system in its broadest sense that needs a good look at think of this clinicians are like mechanics there's all sorts of specialists to fix your car you know electrical transmission engine and whatnot and medics are exactly the same thing they are taught skills to perform procedures now name one in the whole healthcare spectrum where they're paid to perform a very thorough assessment of a back pain person to converge on their mechanism. It doesn't exist. So this is a challenge through the whole uh, medical system. So because of that, uh, we had to train our own clinicians. So as you know, on BackFit Pro, you can go and see who the master clinicians are. And I've spent time with every single one of them making sure that they have a very good success rate. Do they cure everybody? Absolutely not. But we get the people who failed 10 previous approaches. The poor person has been conditioned to fail. We've got to be the ones to make a difference. And more often than not, we do, not all the time, of course. So 
uh, getting back to this idea, when I first started the experimental research clinic at the university, I set aside two hours to see a back pain person. And my colleagues said, are, are, you're crazy. What are you going to do for two hours? Uh, how are you going to bill for that? And uh, I said, well, A, we're, we're going to bill for time. And B, that's how long it's going to take me to listen to their stories, understand all the impediments that uh, that person has that's thwarted previous attempts. I'm not going to perform a procedure. We're going to find out what the mechanism is, and then we're going to go and choose the best approach to deal with that mechanism. It could be anything, and we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. So we're going to develop a broad toolbox of skills, and uh, there we go. So, uh, oh, and by the way, after the first year at the university, the back pain appointments became three hours long. That's how long it took us to listen to that person's story. And, you know, the pain scientists have come along and, and now they're saying, oh, you really should listen to a person's story. As I think we've been doing this for 25 years. <laughs> this is nothing new. But it's, it, 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 it is uh, quite rare because that's not how they're trained in the traditional uh, medical system. But anyway, now I'm going to say something that... Um, I suspect most of your audience are, are trainers and back pained people. Consider that every single system in a person's body's health is optimized by movement. Obviously, the musculoskeletal system has a tipping point. If it's too low, you, you're, you're weak and sick. If it's too much, you're broken and injured. There is a sweet spot. Think of the cardiovascular system. It's Goldilocks. It's just the right amount, not too much, not too little. The endocrine system. I mean, you think of every system in the body and it depends on optimal movement. Now, who owns movement in the broadest rubric of healthcare? You've already named your family physician or the orthopedic doc that might give you an injection of cortisone. How do you know? that that is the tool to deal with that person's pain. Uh, it, it's, it's just pure luck and people performing procedures for money. Now, the next part of the story is so important. Who owns movement in the healthcare system? It's trainers. Trainers have the largest potential to impact the lifelong health of their clients, to organize just the right amount, to get them moving well with no pain and keep refining that as the person puts more mileage on their body and evolves from early, perhaps maybe it might be discogenic pain in their 30s and 40s. I certainly had that. Now I'm in my 60s. Steve, I have zero pain. I feel fabulous, and if anyone told me when I was in my 40s I'd, I'd have no pain, I'd say they're crazy. But, you know, for me, I've got it dialed in. Two days a week, I strength train. Two days a week, I do mobility for the things. I never needed mobility when I was 30. I had tons of it. I do now. And then two days a week, I get the old ticker going and a little cardiovascular, and one day a week, I rest. 
that is my adaptation day. You say that to a CrossFitter. What did you do on your day off? Oh, I ran 5K. And I think, well, good. I hope you enjoy your pain. And it's nothing against CrossFit. It's, it's just, it's a pattern once again. So, you know, the CrossFitter, you hold back a little bit. That's the tool. The next person who's a bit of a sloth, you got to motivate them to get going. So you see how it all depends and, and the tools of the trainer. But my, my final little bit on this essay is if it is true that the trainers are the most important determinant and influencer of that lifetime, that person's lifetime health, that's an enormous responsibility and I hope they get it right. Over half of the back pained people who come to BackFit Pro have been caused or exacerbated by trainers. And, and again, there are fabulous trainers. I work with them all the time. We have our own. However, there are some who are messing it up. So all I'm encouraging people to do now is take your responsibility very, very seriously. It's so important. You change people's lives. Get it right. Yeah. Become a master of the craft. Get off social media. Go and become a master of the craft. And uh, you, you will uh, change people's lives. You'll have a good life yourself. Uh, you'll never have a business issue because when you change one person's life who's struggled for years and years with back pain, and then you become the trainer who's realized, you know, you have a little bit of a software issue. I'm going to allow your wife or your husband to nag you. And I had an Irish mother and I know this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> get, get, that, get that nag going to change the person's software movement habit. And then you give them the tools to know what that habit should become. And you just unleash their lives. It's, and then they tell 10 people. That's excellent advice. for. Uh, for uh, now, what business model is better than that? Excellent advice. Um, so like, like really, I think, I suppose to, to break it down a little bit or what I'm hearing is that we as trainers need to ask more questions as well and, and, and really start to, to, to delve a little bit deeper into, into our clients' needs. But on the other side of the coin, though, I think it's important for people to start, I suppose, going back onto what my last, um, when I spoke about clinicians and, and sort of, you know, you know, just giving the old injection and, and sending them on. That is important, I think, for anyone that is watching as well, that maybe aren't involved in the industry in any capacity, but maybe do have pain and that, that they start asking more questions as well and, and trying to figure things out and not just taking the first answer as gospel. Right. But, you know, I'm listening to that, and I ask myself, is there ever a time for an injection? And, it, you know, if, if someone gets a cortisone injection, there are injections that are anabolic to build tissues and create adaptations, and there are, there are injections that are catabolic to take things away. And generally speaking, a cortisone injection is more catabolic than it is anabolic in that... Um, say we have a frictioned nerve root. So the person, they have back pain as they're slouching down, but when they get to full flexion, they don't have back pain. They don't have uh, this discogenic pain that I showed you earlier. They have friction on the nerve root. And it may be that they've got an inflammatory soup around the nerve root, but we'll determine that in the uh, assessment or the trainer might say they're the first time ever that has asked the person do a pelvic tilt 
back and forth. And now let's put a bar on your back and repeat. Yeah. Putting a bar on your back has just as much chance to take the person's pain away than it does to make it worse. The load in that situation might create the movement and the motor pattern to stabilize and take out a micro. You don't know until you try this. But now there's an orthopedic assessment. It, it, do you think a doctor's going to perform that? I don't think so. But I, I, I know trained trainers will. So uh, getting back to that injection idea, the inflammatory soup around the nerve that's causing the friction and the movement pain, uh, cortisone sometimes is the right tool. It cleans out that inflammatory soup and gets things moving. So now the person can start doing some nerve flossing movements and for the first time, just start to unleash some pain-free movement. But, you know, it came from an understanding. So anyway, I'm not saying the, 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 there's a time and a place for just about everything. Of course, yeah. I'm actually after getting a question here uh, from Kettlebells and Coffee asking, is there any actually any backfit pro guys in Ireland? Um, I've taught courses in Dublin twice. Uh, but that doesn't mean any of them are qualified to uh, th that I would send a patient to with confidence. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think of uh, Gareth. He was with your rugby association for a while. Now I can't remember his last name. This is why I'm not a professor anymore. I think I can't remember anything. Um, but anyway, he always struck uh, Coglin. Gareth Coglin. Does that name bring anything? from Irish rugby, and I think he might have uh, switched to another organization. But there would be an example of an Irish guy who, who really got it and yeah. uh, was, was well on his way. Um, but to, so what do we do about all of this? May, may I put yeah. into, this will sound a little self-serving, but unfortunately it's the only way I know how to answer uh, and give guidance on that. Um, as you know, we put on courses uh, to obtain this competency of assessment and uh, coaching techniques of uh, specific movement tools and that kind of thing. Um, but given this whole virus situation around the world, I'm putting my lectures online. So if people go to BackFit Pro, not yet. Uh, but but quite soon they will be able to take my lectures and then uh, there's no substitute for you cannot do hands on learning on the Internet. It is not possible. So, you know, I, I might. It's so interesting. I'll I'll take someone who's done physical therapy for 10 years and I'll and I'll say, did you feel the person's pain? And they look at me and they, they say, what, what do you mean? And I said, did you not feel the motor units in their back spike as you created that movement? And, and they were totally oblivious, totally unskilled. So I'll pull a mustache hair out and I'll put it under a page in the phone book and I'll say, find the mustache hair. They're oblivious. They've got stone hands. <laughs> and then the master clinician, I'll put three more pages on and then they will find it. And now they see there was the pain. They saw it in the eye. They saw, in other words, to create um, the, 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 the skills of perception. To be a great clinician, you have to read people. 
Do you know who, who I would say one of our very top clinicians are? He's a trainer in London named Joel Proskovitz in London, England. He's magnificent. He can read people. And uh, that, that is so important in becoming a McGill master uh, clinician. But anyway, back to that idea, we will have the lectures online and the uh, skills development will be in small groups of 10 or 15 people. And we're going to have one group pod in London, one will be in Dallas, Texas, uh, etc. Um, you might even encourage me to come home to Ireland and uh, we could do one in uh, right. or uh, Dublin or Waterford or wherever. But anyway, uh, that's how it's going to go uh, moving forward. Great stuff. Oh, I should just, I forgot I was going to say as well. So to begin this process of mastery and learning to assess um, back mechanic I wrote for the lay public. I never thought in a million years, I, I only was writing for clinicians. So I wrote Low Back Disorders, which is a heavy medical textbook. However, it has the full assessment process in it. So someone who wants to really know how to assess, I'm, I'm sorry, they're going to have to become very familiar with uh, Low Back Disorders. But, you know, it's not where you start. Where you start would be with back mechanic, and we have nine tests. The first one is pencil and paper. List the things that cause your client to increase their pain. And on the other side, list the things that take, that makes them feel better. Now you do pattern recognition. What's common about the things that set them off and what's common about the things that make them better? You've already started your programming. Fabulous. And then ask two questions. Is my client fit and do they move well? Okay, if they're not moving well and they're not fit, you're not gonna create a CrossFit program. You're going to get them moving well and you're gonna get them fit. But if they say, if, if they're fit, but they're not moving well, focus on the movements. If they're really moving well and they're not fit, move, work on the fitness. And if they're fit and moving well, send them to CrossFit. You see what I mean? It's, you know, I don't love or hate anything. It's just the right, tuning and 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 the programming to to get all of this going but that's just the first exercise in back mechanic and then there's well say one test might be just a a seated test like this and uh, they grab the seat pan and pull up and the person might sit in neutral and and pull up uh 10 kilo per arm maybe does that cause pain Oh yeah, there's my pain. And then they'll, they'll say, is it okay to round my back in a deadlift? <laughs> you just round the answer. <laughs> or they might, their first move is they, they, they wedge into a, a lifter's wedge to pull. And what's their first movement? More extension. And then they sit on the chair and they go into extension, become a bit of a peacock. Oh yeah, there's my pain. You know, this is orthopedic testing 101, but every single one of it is motion, posture, load, and activity. Who owns that more than the trainer? Nobody. Yeah. Excellent. Stuart, we've got a couple of questions here. Um, and thanks so much. Like, there's some, some absolute gold in there. And I know uh, yeah, so I, I, I mentioned, like, you, you've tipped on some absolutely fantastic things there. Um, from spine stiffness to, to stability to, to mobility to all these things. We have a couple of questions 
which I've written down here and also that were coming through as well on our, on our main feed here. So if you don't mind, uh, I suppose, addressing some of those, if, that, if, you're happy to do the, if you're happy to do so. Well, I mean, I can try. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose one of, the, one of the things that I got through during the week is the, the myths, myths involving involving back pain you know what's the five biggest things that you've heard that are generally not the cause of of the pain that's that they're feeling um well let me broaden that just a little bit to say that the first myth is this whole idea of non-specific back pain if a person has been given that you've got nonspecific back pain, or you read a, a study that's been published in the literature about nonspecific back pain, uh, A, you, you uh, haven't had an assessment, so that's a problem for the person. But for the scientist and clinician reading about nonspecific back pain, uh, it's, it's, it's not, doesn't even meet the criteria of statistics of being a homogeneous group. For example, um, I'll give you uh, an experiment just to put this in a training context. We took two volleyball teams. We repeated the experiment twice. The coach said, can you add uh, two, uh, two inches, five centimeters onto the vertical jump of every player? So we did a little bit of a hip mobility and a uh, squat training program, which I think most trainers would find reasonable. We got exactly the same results. After six weeks, half of the team increased their vertical jump. 10%, there was no difference. And about 35% decreased their vertical jump, all exposed to exactly the same thing because they were a non-homogeneous group. Now, I've just showed you that on average, there was no difference. It was non-specific but there were super responders and there were people who were made sick or they lost performance, exactly the same intervention. Um, And as it turned out, I learned if I just said to the players, are you naturally quick or are you naturally strong? You know, every kid dichotomized themselves correctly. Everybody knows if they're naturally quick or naturally strong. Now, who do you think increased their vertical jump? They strength trained. It wasn't the ones who were naturally strong. Adding more strength to strength actually slowed them down, made them a little bit stiffer. But the ones who were naturally quick, in other words, they had that boom, that sparky neurology. You add strength to that. It's fabulous. It just unleashes and potentiates. So there you go. This idea of nonspecific back pain, people want to compare um, stabilization exercise with McKenzie techniques with manipulation, with soft tissue work, some of those people will do really well with one of them. Mm -hmm. Some of the people won't do very well with them. In other words, it's a zero answer and it always will be. So I I say, don't even bother doing science until you subcategorize the pain uh, down into groups. You are a flexion intolerant group. Okay, there's one category. You're an extension intolerant group. You are a movement intolerant group. You are a endurance deficit group or whatever the the subcategory is. So that would be the first myth and it impedes uh, uh, 
the science to progress and it creates a lot of human emotional and psychological distress and dissonance that's so unnecessary mm. all cured by an assessment so that that's the first major myth um, another one that would come to mind, it's an excuse made by people who say, um, you've had back pain longer than 12 weeks. All tissues heal within 12 weeks, therefore you're magnifying your pain. It's now a psychological issue. No kidding, the person has been uh, so mistreated, no wonder they have psychological issues. And worse yet, when they're told it's psychological, that even makes it more psychological. <laughs> they still haven't had an assessment yet. So if you break a leg and in three months, you can come back and squat again, that, that, that's, that happens all the time. But here's the problem. If you damage a disc or an end plate, it changes the whole mechanics of the joint. I've already proven that you could have damaged that years ago. Now, has that healed in 12 weeks? No. On average, a unstable disc like that will take about 10 years to stiffen up. So this, this excuse and dismissal of people who have had back pain for a long period of time, it's now a psychological issue because it's lasting longer. Um, it's more likely because they don't move well and all day long they pick the scab. They're flexion intolerant. Their first move out of a chair is collapsing into their pain and then they stand up versus the uh, trainer saying, sniff a little air, spread your knees apart, get your feet underneath you and lead with your chest and pull your hips through. Fabulous, weightlifting 101. Again, it is a tool of athleticism that the physio or the chiro or the orthopedic surgeon or whoever it was didn't have the skill set to deal with. And I keep coming back to this idea of who owns movement. And uh, it, it, so the, the, the movement specialist can deal with all of the uh, unnecessary lives being wasted over this idea that tissues heal within 12 weeks. So another myth would be, oh, back pain's a life sentence. My mother had it all her life. I'm condemned for life. Uh, that, that's a big myth. Or another one is I get uh, well, a couple hundred emails every day from around the world. Can you give me an exercise for my back pain? No, <laughs> there's no such thing. Your problem might be pure software. You're just moving to create pain triggers all day long. Or uh, the next person might have a real intolerance. And are you familiar with the book I wrote with Brian Carroll called Gift of Injury? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Brian Carroll, just to tell that story very quickly, um, had the world record in squats in two different weight categories. Brian had lifted over a thousand pounds or squatted over a thousand pounds greater than 50 times in national and international competitions. He was a warrior and anyone who's squatted a thousand pounds know that you're, you're devastated for days after squatting a thousand. It's a big deal. 
so uh, anyway, long story, he, I mean, he squatted close to 1,200 now, and <laughs> he's still at it. But anyway, he came to me with a, a, a terrible injury for a lifter. He'd split his sacrum and really damaged L5 and the discs and whatnot. And that was in 2013. Long story short, uh, I, you know, I did a, a lot of experimental work, and we converged on bone callusing with him. We show, and, and then I said, well, if you can get better, uh, we'll write a book about this, is, is the story of how the book came about. Well, not only did he get out of pain, he came back and uh, won the Arnolds again twice just to show it wasn't a fluke out of that horrible injury. But in the book, we show the MRIs of what his back injury looked like when he first came to see me. Then we show the follow-up MRIs three years later. Now I'm going to introduce this notion of mechanostimulation. The body is not degenerating. Now here's another myth, degenerative disc disease. Have you ever heard of that diagnosis? It's such a garbage diagnosis. No one has a disease. Uh, they may have a flattened disc, which the radiologist will write as a uh, disease. However, it's almost always the result of overload, injury, uh, and damage. Um, in any case, uh, your body is desperately trying to regenerate all the time. But we do things that stop this process of regeneration and we turn it into degeneration. But again, who owns that? It's the trainer. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, the MRIs three years later show the regeneration. He filled in the bone that was fractured a uh, very difficult thing to do. He reshaped the discs, doesn't have disc bulges anymore, uh, and uh, he squats over 1,100 pounds. Uh, that is the power of <laughs> proper mechanostimulation to assist the body to uh, regenerate. Now, that, that's an extreme case, of course. Mm. Uh, but anyway, there, 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 I'll just stop it with that particular myth. There's, there's no way for back pain, uh, the, the uh, requires an assessment, an understanding of the pain quick, mechanism. Sorry, Stuart, but a quick question, a quick question regarding Brian, um, because I think one of, the, one of the things I see quite often um, in the industry is, is this, you know, delayed gratification, like people maybe not putting in the work that's requ required in order to get back to full health. And, you know, that's not just when it comes to like rehab or, or injury prevention and things like that. It's, you know, weight loss, strength, all that sort of thing. For the likes of the injury that Brian had, what's a realistic time frame, provided you're putting in the appropriate work um, to get back from? I suppose what I'm asking is for a strength athlete like that that injures themselves, when can they realistically look to get... No, back to lifting 1100 pounds if, if if you can do that but to get even back under the bar to 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 you know and how can you encourage your client because I, we're in a we're in an age where people want instant gratification they want to feel immediate and see immediate results well i mean i i could answer that uh, a multitude of different ways there are some people that you can take their pain away immediately yeah literally immediately and that could be a movement change uh, or a posture change or whatever it happens to be and then the next person 
uh, it requires a very systematic approach. And it might start with reprogramming the way they move to stop the cause. Now you allow a window for appropriate mechanostimulation through an appropriate exercise choice with an appropriate dosage. So now you see it's very specific with Brian's case. Um, in order to stimulate bone growth, it's usually a five-day turnover. So imagine if I bend my forearm now in a three-point bend, the, this surface goes into tension and this surface goes into compression. Agreed. So bone is a piezoelectric material. It follows Wolf's Law for, for, for rebuilding itself. What happens with piezoelectric material is strain causes electric charge. So the part of your bone that has the highest strain generates the highest charge. That attracts free ions of, of magnesium and calcium, and it chemically bonds them to the bone that's under the highest stress and strain. But if you train like a bodybuilder three times a week, in two days, if you train again, you break off the bonds. They haven't scaffolded on. So to rebuild bone is about a five-day uh, turnover for a strength athlete. So you'll see bodybuilders, typically they're training three, three times a week because they're tearing down muscle to get it to, to regenerate and, and hypertrophy muscle. But a strength athlete has to hypertrophy bone and connective tissue and that kind of thing. So with Brian, we uh, did uh, spine stabilization very lightly every day. But every five days, he would do something like, say, a suitcase carry. So lock it in and walk uh, uh, maybe 50 meters three times, then take five days off. And do this for a year. So, you know, I think you were getting at the psychological and the discipline part of all of this as well, using the instant gratification. Um, it, it, you got to pay your dues, follow a scientific process. Your psychology has to be committed, um, et cetera, et cetera. So if someone wants an instant gratification, I, I usually just say, enjoy your pain. And that, that's shocking for some people to hear. You know, how dare you say that to me? And I said, you need to be shocked because your biggest impediment to progress is yeah. your need for instant gratification. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, we've a couple of other questions here. Um, actually, this was kettlebells and coffee as well. After a herniated disc with sciatic nerve leg pain, how do you, oh, I think we've sort of quite, we've actually probably answered that one. After a herniated disc with sciatic nerve leg pain, how do you judge when it's right to get back onto the barbell? But I think, as I said, we sort of, you've sort of skimmed over that anyway. Um, well, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, Brian had so much more than a herniated disc. I mean, I, I don't know if people know who I, what we've worked with, but I, I've seen some of the, best squatters and deadlifters in the world, many of them. And uh, sometimes it's a matter of just approaching the bar in a different way. In other words, what's the warm up? It might be laying on their tummy, hands, palms down under the forehead, turning the forehead a little bit, pressing the eyebrow down one kilo, and then breathing just letting the disc settle. 
letting the uh, nuclear gel equilibrate with just gentle hydraulics. And then all of a sudden they can pull very robustly. So, the, the, you know, it's, you, you got to know your stuff. <laughs> but uh, there might be an example. And I'm, I'm thinking of a very specific person now. I mean, I've worked with the, the guy who owns the, the Wilkes record of all time in human history, <laughs> the strongest pull bench press and squat. Um, you know, the, and I'm, I'm thinking of several athletes like that, where it's uh, not that long to create the robustness in dealing with the specific type of bulge that they have. Now, there are bulges where if you simply compress their back, their bulge is radial all around. Okay, that is a problem with containing nuclear pressure. But if you have a very focal disc bulge, uh, that is usually a movement modulated. So there is a very focal disc bulge right there. So if you can stack uh, the spine and allow it to gristle and move well all day long, use a lumbar support when you're sitting in your car and at your desk, you might be able to get under the bar very, very quickly. But then if you're gonna argue with me that, oh, I think I'm allowed a certain amount of butt wink at the bottom. Well, for that particular type of back, I would suggest it, it isn't okay. You know, so, I mean, we can go for hours and hours and until we have a person in front of us, Steve, you know, we, we, we can't. Yeah. You can't give give it. It. All we can do is discuss principles. Um, you mentioned buttwink there, a common problem, something you see quite a lot. How do you address that? What's the best, you know, if we, if we do see a client coming in, coming in with, what's the best way forward? Um, well, when uh, is buttwink okay would be the first question. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll just uh, put a modest bar on their back and I'll do a, uh, say, a pelvic tilt. Now, go back, lift your tail, go back and forth 10 times. If that creates your familiar back pain, you tell me, is butt wink okay? <laughs> yeah. So do you see what I mean? It was another test that the trainer does to determine if it's okay or not. Um, then uh, the next thing is the bigger the load, the more important these questions become. Mm -hmm. So if the person is, is just wanting to tie their shoe and they have a little butt wink and they don't have back pain, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's not an issue. Um, but uh, then I might say, okay, you have a case of butt wink. It's causing your pain. What's the mechanism? I will probably, and this is particularly important in Ireland. Did you know Ireland has one of the highest rates in the world of FAI, femoral acetabular impingement? No. Okay, so as a gene pool, they have very deep hip sockets. Now, does every Irishman have a deep hip socket? No, but on, on, on average, the Celtic population have some of the deepest hip sockets in the world. I don't know if you know that. I, so uh, I would then assess. I would do a hip scour and I would determine uh, you can't stretch your hip. Uh, you're never going to win the IPF, you know, International Powerlifting Federation, because their rules are you get under the bar, you walk it out and you squat and you're not looking for a parallel thigh hip joint to knee joint. You're looking at the top of the thigh and they force you to deep depths. Uh, if you have 
a deep hip socket and butt wink, you won't win. You will break before you win, in other words. Um, my next question would be, why are you deadlifting? Uh, if it's just a person who wants a good life and their goal in life is, I want to be a rocking 80-year-old and the best granddad on this planet, I would suggest they don't deadlift. I would go and choose another tool. Why don't you push a sled? Why don't you walk backwards up a hill? You know, why don't you do some of these things that will allow you to retain your athleticism for a longer period in your life? Good stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, there's so many tools uh, to use. Uh, a little kettlebell swinging or again, whatever. And we go through fads and eras and we're in a fad right now of deadlifting and, you know, trainers have every one of their clients deadlifting. And I think it's a terrible mistake. I think it goes back to, to obviously each individual when you're training them that, they, you know, again, goal dependent. So finding the context, what they're looking to achieve and then whatever exercise you pick, making sure that it's, it's, it's in alignment with those goals. And it, there's going to be pros and cons to each exercise depending on the individual in question. So, um, yeah, right. not everybody has to deadlift, not everybody has to squat, not everybody has to, you know, as you said, walk backwards. And, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I, I see this, you know, some mom will come here with two little kids at home and she's uh, got end plate damage and a herniated disc from her trainer giving her heavy deadlifts. And I thought, you know, what are the things in the conversation that came out that are the impediments in her life? Picking her child out of the crib at two o'clock in the morning for feeding. That is her problem in life. But the trainer never listened to her, never understood the transference of what they do in the gym is so important to, to, to their real life. And what I would have done and what we showed her was how to gather a sandbag off a surface, the height of the crib. So off a box, gather in the sandbag, hug it in, posture your spine, so you take all the pain away, now pull your hips through. Now, is that powerlifting 101? Yes. And that's what translates to her accomplishing everything she needed to do in life with no pain and with great joy. That changed her life. The fact that she could deadlift her body weight was so inappropriate and uh, it just shortened her, her athletic career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had Andrea. Sorry, no, I'm just looking at my iPad here for some of the questions that came through. But uh, again, I think it's, this one's going to be uh, definitely context needs to be put into this. So I'm unsure. It's before I could hear a snap on my back when I raised my left leg laterally, but now it's in my right leg. Why? Uh, so I, I guess what she's sort of is asking, what could be the cause of that particular issue? I, 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 I think that's what came true. <laughs> yeah. You know, an assessment will show I mean, the candidates are, it could be just simply a snapping tendon in yeah. your leg, just popping over a, a bursa or, uh, or it could be a real joint instability where a person says, you know, I move a certain way. I, all I did was bend forward and flush the toilet and I felt my back clunk and someone put a knife in my back at that time. All right, so there 
is a pattern consistent with a, with quite an unstable joint. Yeah. Um, but it, who knows what it is, but an assessment will show. And here's another thing that's so important for your audience. It doesn't matter most of the time what the anatomic reason is. What the trainer did was they found the antidote immediately. So if the person is feeling that snap or the pop as they're laterally raising their leg, the trainer has now done some quick little experiments. Maybe they'll say, push my fingers out. Good, do it. Oh, the pop is gone. Good. You've just removed it from the person's life. What does it matter what it was? Hmm. Now you make sure with your coaching, you groove that in so it becomes a, uh, a pattern. And uh, if they can't do it all day long, maybe they have an endurance deficit. So work on their endurance so they can do it. Or whatever it happens to be. Maybe it's a movement trajectory issue. Uh, I, I don't know. But you see, again, with the right skill set, who cured her? The trainer. Yeah. Um, we'll take and, and I'm, 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 thanks so much for all your time. There's one one other uh, message after coming through here from Sean Conboy, eighty eight. Um, he can he still apply the assessment tool from Doctor McGill's book for so from your book, The Back Mechanic, after a disectomy. Uh, still some pain eight months after the surgery. Well, the answer is of course, but how effective it's going to be, I cannot promise. So you, you start and uh, see where you get. Uh, you, you, you might get sufficient information, but again, that's a personal question. And until we have that person in front of us and we do a little bit of an assessment, uh, you know, I, I can't be any more specific than that. Uh, well, let me say this. So he's had surgery. He's had a discectomy. I'm assuming maybe it was a, a, a keyhole surgery or, a, you know, I, again, I don't know what the, the procedure was, but uh, we would get, when I was at the university in the clinic, which is where we did all of the follow-up, of all the patients who'd been told, you've tried everything, you've tried physical therapy, chiropractic, you've seen the shrink, uh, you've had an orthopedic consult, you've been to the osteopath, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The last thing for you now is surgery. If you came to BackFit Pro or the university fitting that category, the last hope you have is surgery, we basically had them follow the principles of back mechanic and 95% of them avoided surgery. Now that's a fact that I can stand by and our follow-up uh, bore that out. So maybe that's an answer that it, does it help everybody? No, but it'll catch 95%. And in a, I forget what the follow-up was. I think it was a five-year follow-up. Not only did they avoid surgery, they were glad they did. That's uh, that's fantastic odds. They're incredible numbers, statistics. Stu, um, thanks so much for coming on board. You've answered so many questions. I know there's there's we've had so many people jump on here. There's probably so many more questions as well, but we do have to to sort of call it a day at some time, at some stage. Um, I really appreciate your time. Um, where can people, those that are familiar? 
and familiar with BackFit Pro, obviously you guys know where to go. But for any of those that are watching right now that wants to get a hold of your books, that wants some more information, where do they find all, uh, all about Stuart McGill and uh, the BackFit Pro method? Right. Well, we have a website, www.backfitpro.com. And uh, in there are uh, our various books and resource materials. There's a portal through to our courses. Uh, there are some back supports for those who are discogenic, flexion intolerant types of uh, back pained people. And really to create training uh, capacity, they're very helpful for, for some trainers because yeah. one of the biggest challenges for trainers is retention of the back pain client. Get into the rest of their life and find out what silly things they're doing to build their training capacity. Now you just built a client rather than losing the client. So it has to go far beyond the, the hour or half an hour that they might be with the trainer. Get into the life 24 hours. But these are the things of a master uh, clinician, a master trainer. Anyway, there's uh, those things. There's uh, podcasts uh, on there, uh, et cetera. Oh, and then uh, for those who are interested in seeing one of our clinicians, they're listed on there as well. Maybe some of your listeners are interested in going through the process of becoming a certified McGill Method uh, practitioner, which some of your trainers will be very interested in. Yes. And through the website, once they're listed, they will get a steady stream of, of clients. And uh, to become a master clinician is, is a much more extensive process. But anyway, that, that, that's it. We, we are on Instagram and Facebook. However, uh, Sarah runs all of this. And my only instruction to her is just make sure you put on content. Um, but uh, I'm... Uh, I, I don't even know how to sign on. As you found out today, I'm when it comes to social media. And obviously for anyone that's watching as well, remember we will have this recorded as well, this talk recorded. So I will be putting this probably on our podcast, the Gym and Tonic podcast. It's on Spotify, iTunes, all your major uh, platforms in the next couple of days. So I link all your material, uh, Stuart, and, and your websites and things up to that in the show notes. So if, if, if they need to, to find those as well, they can get there okay but uh yes Stuart, you've been absolutely fantastic you've answered so many questions um definitely a great insight so um yeah yeah and uh, yeah thank you so it, much it, it, it was great to listen to you i thought i was home and uh would you pass <laughs> the theaters by <laughs> I get you over here so i keep getting it's funny i keep getting slagged on them um, any of these um and any of these talks that we've done with anyone from from over um the the like not from the UK or from Europe or from over like Canada or the States or over that direction. And um, they keep slagging my accent and telling me I'm Conor McGregor. So that's a lot of the, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the, uh, the, the, the stuff coming through has been about that, but no, it's been great. Uh, it, it's funny. You know, I, 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 I always thought my granddad had a speech impediment. I just didn't realize that, uh, you know, he was from Waterford. <laughs> 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 incredible for such a small country we have so many different accents and that so it's all right well i i i know i know them all well <laughs> listen Stuart, it's been absolutely fantastic i really hope we get to chat again and uh, yeah enjoy the good weather 
um, as I said, ours has passed, but hopefully we'll get uh, we'll get some more again here. But yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, Steve, and thanks for all you do in uh, the leadership that you provide. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Stuart. Um, give your best to your family, and uh, yeah, again, I hopefully we talk to soon. We talk to you soon. Okay. So long. Over and out. We'll talk to you. Thank you. Hi right, guys, that was Dr. Stuart McGill, um, an absolutely fantastic um, source of information. If you don't follow him, I would advise you follow him now. That's at Backfit Pro. Um, as I said, I will link all uh, the material to the show notes when we get it up on uh, the Jim and Tonic podcast. And hopefully I'll talk to you soon, guys. Thanks so much for you all for jumping on board. It's been emotional. Talk to you soon. All right, guys, that is a wrap on another episode. Thank you for joining me this week on the Gym and Tonic Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, www.thegymballinat.ie, for more great content. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and you'll never miss another episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I would really appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help me out too. If you like this podcast, you might want to check out our social media platforms. On Instagram, at the underscore gym underscore balana, or on Facebook, at the gym balana. Be sure to tune in for next week's episode. That's it from me, Stephen, at the Gym and Tonic Podcast. And remember, this is what we do.